<laughs> you would not believe how bad my back hurts right now. Yesterday, I was in my office at home, and um, to show you how crazy backs are, um, I have a little table here beside a chair, and there was a book there that I wanted, and I had something in my left hand, so I reached across with my right hand and twisted a little bit. That's how fast and easy it can happen. And uh, so, um, but there's nothing wrong with my uh, mouth, and there's nothing, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with, I was going to say my brain, but my wife would probably disagree with me on that. Uh, I can't stand very well, I can't walk very well, but I can sit, and I can talk, so uh, we're going to do it this way today. Um, This is the second time in 43 years that I haven't been able to stand up to preach. The first time, I was about 32, and I tore up my knee, uh, tore my ACL playing uh, basketball on the church basketball team. And so um, I had surgery, and for six weeks, my right leg was in a cast. And so I sat on the stage every Sunday, and uh, my leg was propped up, and I had a little table, and I had water. And uh, it was in the wintertime, and I kind of wore a sweater. And so the congregation started uh, calling my sermons Mark's Fireside Chats. And so we're having a fireside chat this morning. Um, we are continuing our message, uh, a series of messages uh, on Stories in the Bible that you probably won't want to read to your children when you tuck them into bed at night. Uh, Stories that would be rated PG-13 if they were on the big screen, sometimes maybe even worse than that. Um, And today we come to a doozy. We're going to talk about um, the attempted seduction of Joseph by Potiphar's wife. But now, before we get to that, I want to lay a a little background for you. Uh, The first 37 chapters of Genesis cover about 2,000 years of history. But then Joseph steps onto the stage, and the narrative slows way down. And it takes the next 12 chapters just to cover his life. So you ask the question, why does God give us so much information about Joseph? And I think the answer is because he wants us to see what true faithfulness looks like. Because you see it in Joseph almost like nobody else in the Bible other than Jesus. Uh, Joseph led a tough life. You remember that he was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was young. He was imprisoned for crimes he didn't commit, as we will see this morning. He was the victim of sexual harassment. He was lied about. But through it all, he was faithful. Now, we're going to pick up the story. There's a a whole lot to this story, but we're just going to look at one little section. We're going to pick it up today where he was serving as the chief of staff for Potiphar. Potiphar was the second most powerful person in Egypt, right behind the Pharaoh. And Joseph was his chief of staff. Now, it's important to remember something here. Most people forget that at this point in the story, Joseph was a slave. 
He was a slave at this point in the story. In fact, Genesis 39.1 says that Potiphar purchased him from some Ishmaelite slave traders. So he was a bought and paid for slave. However, he was so outstanding in the things he did for Potiphar that Potiphar's confidence in him grew. And Potiphar actually ended up making him his attendant, his personal aide. He brought him into his house to take care of his personal affairs. And it turned out that Joseph did such a good job at this that um, Potiphar just was, was blessed in every way. Look at verse 6. Genesis 39 says, when, with Joseph there, Potiphar didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Can you imagine your life being so well organized, everything being so well put together in your life that your biggest decision of the day is what to have for lunch? or what to have for dinner. And that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? Well, then we're given another little tidbit about Joseph. It says that, right at the end of verse 6, it says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Now, I want to jump in right there and say there's nothing wrong. There's no negative connotation to that. There's nothing wrong with being very handsome and well-built. And it does say very handsome and well-built. Now, granted, it's not fair, mind you, but... Right? I mean, there's nothing really wrong with Joseph having long, dark, wavy hair and a six-pack. Even though some of us have no hair and a cooler, it's, it's fine. I'm not bitter. But, but my back hurts. But it does say, but it does say that he was very good-looking. And Potiphar's wife, notice. Verse 7 says, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. And her fantasies eventually became so overpowering that she propositioned him. Um, The very next line says, she demanded that he sleep with her. Not requested, not suggested. She demanded. That's what I call the direct approach. Most people would probably be a little more subtle than that, maybe work into it a little more slowly, uh, but not her. There's a TV show that was on a few years ago. I I never saw one episode, but I remember the title. It was called Desperate Housewives. And I'm sure you didn't see it either. But uh, (laughs) every time I read this story and this part of the story, I'm reminded of that title. She must have been the original Desperate Housewife. And it's interesting to think about the leverage that she had over him because, remember, he was a slave. And you know what that means for him in this situation. It means he can't quit his job. It means he can't just say, you know what, I'm not putting up with this, I'm out of here. He had to stay put. And so he did the next best thing to quitting. He tried to talk some sense into this woman, Potiphar's wife. Starting in verse 8, he said, Look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Friends, there are a lot of great sermons in the Bible 
There's Sermon on the Mount. There's Peter's Day of Pentecost sermon. There is no greater sermon in the Bible than the words I just read. I realize it's only 50 words. This is one of the greatest sermons in the Bible. I can't imagine how anybody could hear these words and not feel ashamed. But Potiphar's wife didn't. In fact, verse 10 says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. And I want you to stop and think about that word pressure. Pressure is not the same as temptation. Temptation involves some sort of enticement, uh, some attempt at seduction, but pressure is different. Pressure can and often does involve a person with power and influence manipulating someone who has no power and influence. That's why sometimes people end up doing things they really don't want to do because they're being pressured. They're being made to feel very uncomfortable. They're being threatened. My point is that Potiphar's wife now is unleashing her entire arsenal on Joseph. She has uh, tempted him. She's tried that. That didn't work. So now she's pressuring him. She's threatening him. She's making him miserable, hoping that he'll finally give in. But I love the next line that says, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. I can just imagine Potiphar's wife going crazy in her private moments trying to think about what it's going to take to crack this guy who is so committed in his convictions. Well, eventually she comes to the conclusion that nothing is going to work except a full-on assault. Look at verse 11. It says, one day no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak demanding, come on, sleep with me. So now she's past tempting. Now she's past pressuring. She has moved to the point of physically attacking him. What we are seeing in this passage is what we've seen so much in the news in the last year where you have these high-profile men being accused of sexual misconduct. Only here, it's not a man doing the groping. It's a woman. But it is exactly what we've seen in the news. It's a person with power and influence attacking someone who has no power and no influence. But still, Joseph refused to give in. The next line says, Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And this is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the moment. Up to this point, Potiphar's wife has simply been frustrated. Now she's been humiliated. And that humiliation causes her frustration to morph into rage. And now she is determined to make him pay. And you probably know what What happened next? She used Joseph's cloak as evidence to frame him for attempted rape. She told her husband um, that he attacked her and that when she screamed, he ran away. Verse 19 says, Potiphar was furious 
when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. And there was no investigation. There was no trial. There was no opportunity for Joseph to give his side of the story because he was a slave. And as a slave, he had no rights. The slave owner could do whatever he wanted to do with his slave. So what are some of the lessons we can learn from this story? I think there are a few. Here's the first one. Good times are dangerous times. At the beginning of this story, Joseph is in just about as good a situation as any slave could ever hope to be in. He's earned the respect and the trust of the second most powerful man in the entire nation. He's been brought into that man's home. He's been made his chief of staff, which means he's in good quarters. He's sleeping in a good bed. He's eating good food. He's rubbing shoulders with important people. His life was a far cry better than anything he as a slave had a right to expect. But it was while he was in that good situation that the most dangerous person he would ever meet would walk into his life. Friends, good times are dangerous times. Remember, it was in the perfection of the Garden of Eden that Satan approached Eve. Remember, Samson's power was drained from him when he was taking a nap with his head resting on the lap of a gorgeous woman. It was when David was rejoicing in his great military victories that Saul became jealous of him and decided it was time to try to kill him. And who could forget that it was when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to the shouts and the praises of the multitudes. It was only a few days later, less than a week later, that he found himself hanging on a cross. Good times are dangerous times. The great old preacher F.B. Meyer once said that it's not when people are frowning at you that you're in the most danger, it's when they're smiling at you. The Bible says the same thing. Listen, Luke 6, 26. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds. If times are good for you right now, be thankful. Enjoy the good times and the blessings. But be careful. Because Satan is looking for someone to devour, and I will guarantee you he's looking for someone who's in a good place. Because he knows there's a better chance that that person's guard is going to be down. Good times are dangerous. Here's another lesson from this story. Spotless integrity does not guarantee that you will be well-treated by the world. Now, I would love to tell you that that's true. I would love to tell you that if you would just go out and live every day with spotless integrity, your life would be great. And I really think it will be most of the time. But not all of the time. And a lot of people have trouble accepting this. I know I talk to a lot of people who are going through hard times. And they will say, Mark, I don't get this. I try to be a good person. I try to do good things. I live my life with integrity, and then this happens to me? Yeah, that's what Joseph could have said. That's what Daniel could have said as they were taking him to the lion's den. 
That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said as they were taking them to the fiery furnace. That's what John the Baptist could have said right before he was beheaded. That's what Stephen could have said right before he was stoned. It's what Jesus could have said as they were taking him to the cross. Here's the thing you need to remember about integrity. Integrity is a threat to people who don't have it. Now think about that. Integrity is a threat to people who don't have it. If you're working for a company and your boss institutes new sales practices that are a little unethical, and you as a Christian stand up and say, you know what, I can't do that, you immediately become a threat to your boss and his company. Immediately, you're a threat. If you discover that someone else in your company is stealing from the company, you immediately become a threat to that person who is stealing. And even if you don't report him, even if you don't say anything still, your integrity is a silent condemnation of his lack of integrity. Here's the point. If you want to be honored by God, have integrity. But don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody around you is going to be as excited about your integrity as God is. Integrity is a threat to people who don't have it. That brings me to the third lesson we can glean from this story. Even when no one else does, God recognizes and rewards faithfulness. A few minutes ago, we quit reading in Genesis 39 at verse 20, and we left Joseph in prison. So let's go back there and get him out here. It says uh, at the end of, uh, look verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with in the prison uh, with the warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, here we see Joseph doing it again. Every time he's put in charge of something, he does a great job. And here's something to notice about this. God did not get Joseph out of prison right then. But he did bless him while he was in the prison. Well, that's something to think about. If you're in a bad situation, God may not immediately get you out of that situation, but he will bless you in that situation. If you're unemployed, because of your integrity, because you wouldn't do what the boss asked you to do, now you're unemployed. God may not get you a job right away, but he will bless you and take care of you while you're waiting. If you're being mistreated because of your integrity, God will counter those attacks with blessings. If you're being ostracized because of your integrity, you've lost some relationships, God will be your comforter. Friends, God never, listen to me, never lets integrity go unblessed. Look at Psalm 42 and verse 12. David said, because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. God does not allow integrity to go unblessed. Integrity is always the best choice. I think that's why we get 12 chapters telling us Joseph's life story. Because it's all about integrity from start to finish. And God wants us to see it. He wants to understand how important faithfulness and integrity is. 
So the question today is where do you stand with regard to integrity? Do you practice it in your life all the time in every situation? Or are there some dark corners of your life, some integrity-free zones that you creep into now and then? Maybe one of those would be a website that you'd be ashamed for people to know you visit. Maybe a relationship at work that has some level of inappropriateness to it. Maybe some tactic you use in your job to be more successful. See, the thing about integrity is it doesn't count unless it touches every area of your life. This is why we're always appalled when we hear about a pastor having an affair. Nobody ever says, well, yeah, he's having an affair, but he's a good preacher, and he visits people in the hospital, and he's a good counselor. Nobody ever says anything like that because we understand that integrity doesn't count unless it touches every area. So does integrity touch every area of your life? If it does, God is going to bless you. I leave you with this verse of Scripture that says it perfectly. Proverbs 2, 7 says, The Lord is a shield to those who walk with integrity. Joseph found that out. You read his life story, you see all the way through, God is a shield to him every step of the way. And you'll find that out too if you practice integrity in your life the way Joseph did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this warning and the hope that comes through it as we look at Joseph's story. Help us to make the kind of commitment to integrity that will stand as a clear contrast to what we 